Sie sind Frank. Ist niemand näher? Welcome everybody to Dead Talk Live. And before I welcome our very special guest, I'm wearing glasses because I woke up today with pink eye. So I apologize. I'm not going for the Matrix look. I want to welcome our very special guest, Dave Davis, from the great movie The Vigil. Dave, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing all right. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, no problem. It is our pleasure. So let's just dive right into it. How did, right, the, how did the project of The Vigil come your way? Um, the writer-director, Keith Thomas, hit me up. He had seen my movie, Bomb City. And um, he, I guess, liked my performance in that. And he, he says it's a gut thing. And he knew he needed someone that he could trust to bring the character of Yaakov to life on an emotional level. And he saw something in that performance that he thought would uh would work for his film as well so he sent me the script and i fell in love with it i mean it's just it was a great script and it was a really interesting challenge for me as an actor so i dove in head first that's awesome uh and it was just such a great movie so let's start a little bit in the beginning of the career what got you into acting and theater and all in, in the beginning yeah you know i just uh, i love doing it um and, th and that's really what matters with this sort of work you know it's it's difficult work it's very time consuming and uh, there's a lot of rejection and um, but none of that matters if you love it exactly. and so I loved it and I and I would work at it and do theater and the more I did the more I loved it and the more I started to realize that I might have a uh, potentially have a career with I it so I started working harder and doubling down my efforts and got into film eventually and just keep hustling and you know it's a it's a matter of meeting people that you click with on an artistic level and finding projects that you relate to um right time right place sort of thing but also just you know making it happen and uh it's tough but you gotta love it you gotta love it even even the hard days you gotta love it so um totally hear do. you how, how, how did you find that transition from theater to screen uh, it definitely was an adjustment period, you know. In in theater, you got to act for the back row, they say, and um, and in film, you know, the the back row is oftentimes ten inches from your face. So once I started thinking about it like that, you think about the camera as an audience member. It's just an audience of one, and 
you know, sometimes that means forgetting the audience is there. And sometimes that means you have to play to them specifically in one way or another. And it's just a bit of an adjustment period. And, you know, a lot of practice, a lot of trial and error. You got to dare to fail gloriously, which is something I always learned in theater and which definitely applies to film and art and life as well. And, um, you know, you learn the most from failure. So you do that enough and and uh, and you're bound to even a broken clock's right twice a day. So. <laughs> now, you were in a TV movie called American Horror House. Was that your first introduction into, into horror? No, no, that was uh, that was probably my third or fourth. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because that was a really fun shoot. Uh, I was working with a director named Griff First. Uh, sorry, he didn't direct that, actually, but he produced it. And a friend of mine, Isaiah Laborde, who um, at the time was doing locations and all-around production kind of stuff. Um, but he later would be the guy who would bring me on to Bomb City. Oh. And I like to talk about that movie because around that time, I did several movies with that crew, with that team. And um, I, I like to think of it as film school for me because I was still pretty new to film, coming out of theater. And it was on that set and the sets near it, but mostly that set, where I really got to shadow the director. I got to have free reign with my buddy. We did all the EPK stuff and ran around filming stuff. I learned about what every job on the set is and how to create a shot list and how to get it all done and uh, the, the the inner mechanisms of independent filmmaking and low budget horror movies and there was a lot of there were a lot of fun gags on that shoot so you know funny costumes blood special effects kind of stuff so it was a it was a great experience some great actors do you enjoy horror in particular or is it just you know just just another job or is it one that really well, you stands know, they say- out for you horror is uh something that's particularly fun about horror is it really is movie making you know like you can be on an indie set where it's all dialogue and then you got the cameras and the lights and the acting and all that and the shots but when you're doing a horror movie and you're watching the special effects guy prepare 30 gallons of blood (laughs) and filling a bathtub with blood and setting up the gag to shove a broken beer bottle through a girl's eyeball. You know, that's a special version of filmmaking that's, that can really be a lot of fun. And they say that horror movies are some of the most fun films to make. Yes. And I can tell you that oftentimes, in my experience, that's true. However, with The Vigil, uh, that was a really serious, intense production. And I don't think fun was really on any of our minds. We were... There was too much at stake. There was too much respect that we had for the material and respect for the community that we were representing and respect for the character characters and the journeys and the you know the depth of that film. So that wasn't really fun in the same way that other horror movies have been fun, but as a result, I think it's scarier. I think it's deeper and um, I think it's one of the finer films i've been fortunate enough to be a part of uh, it's an amazing film I, I mean i can't say enough good things about it the film takes place in borough park brooklyn did you actually shoot in brooklyn we did yeah i was living in brooklyn for a month and a half See, um, that, that makes it authentic in yeah actually the house that we were filming in 
had belonged to a woman who had passed away in the house a couple months earlier. And a lot of the set pieces, such as wallpapers, curtains, carpets, were original. So her presence was really felt on that set, which added to the gravity and the respect necessary. You know, we we were very aware that we were in someone's house. Yeah, this was not this was not a studio set. This was not 100% art decorated. You know, the art department did a fantastic job and paid a huge amount of attention to detail and authenticity. But there was a vibe that we were on borrowed land in a sense. Oh man, oh, that's a great story. That's a great story. Did not know that. Uh, I had, I mean, I knew that the exterior shots were Brooklyn because you could tell it's Brooklyn. But to hear that backstory is amazing. Uh, now the movie, uh, it's a great. It's it's a, for me, it's a mixture of a lot of subgenres. You have the psychological aspect. You have, of course, the the paranormal aspect, and then you have uh, like this art house aspect. Uh, what do you feel about the scene at the end when Yakov is actually going to confront the demon? When you first read that in the script, how did that strike you uh, as part of the story? You know, I don't remember exactly what my first Im- uh, thought of that was, but I'll tell you that when I read a script, especially a horror script, one of the most important things to look for is the ending. Yeah. Because a lot of scripts can start out great, can have really great twists and turns, and then fall flat. Um, or or suddenly it gets wrapped up in a way where the whole time you're going, what's going on, what's going on? And then you find out what's going on, and you go, oh, that was going on. Yeah. And I don't remember what my first impression was of the vigil, but I remember thinking, where's this going to go, where's this going to go? And when I saw where it went, I was thrilled because I knew that it was a real thought out, developed concept, you know, the metaphors and the layers and the characters were on a real journey, not just what uh, a writer might think a journey looks like, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and it, you know, I, I was thrilled. The ending was exciting. It was open. It left it available for different interpretations. And in that way, I think it becomes a more powerful story rather than necessarily giving all the answers but it also doesn't leave you desiring answers and thinking well that was a cop out we didn't get any information because for me i I, i'm a plot guy i like to know like what's this story what's the history how did that happen why did that happen what happens next how is it how does it logically make sense and i thought that that script contained all of those things while not oversimplifying and not over explaining the way the ending was shot when the credits were rolling and we get to see what we see with the shadow coming out of the house, how yeah. you said it's left for up to people's interpretation. What was your interpretation? Is he free of the demon or is the demon still waiting for a weak spot in him? I mean, I think, um, uh, I mean, Sorry, my phone, my phone gave me a about to die notification. I got to deal with that in a second, so I don't lose you. Okay. Um, but uh, what was the question again? What was my interpretation? Interpretation of the, of the ending when the credits were rolling and the, we right, see right. in the fuzzy mode the shadow coming out. So for me, this film is about so many things, but one of the most important things 
is it's a mental health story. Yeah. And it was very important to me that when Keith and I were talking about the script that I said, you know, at the end of this, is it, um, sorry, I'm getting a charger. Thank you. No, yeah. Take your time. Take your time. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't want it to feel like, oh, okay, people have mental health problems and, but if you can fight the demon and burn the face and conquer the trauma and the grief, then all of a sudden you might not have, we talked about many things that Yaakov could be afflicted with. And I made uh, some personal decisions on that, that I don't necessarily want to get into, but I didn't want it to be suddenly, okay, he's healed. He had this night almost in a sense that problems like that could be prayed away. Yeah. However, a lot of his issues stem from this trauma that he suffered, this PTSD, this incredible grief, this loss, compounded by community trauma and community grief. And so in that way, through solving some of those problems and confronting his personal demon, he, he is able to come out the other side of that clean in a sense. Mm -hmm. But those things are never too far away. No. You have to be, not to create a pun or anything, but you have to be vigilant. Yeah. It, it, one night isn't going to fix everything. So could there be a situation in which Yaakov is once again attacked and afflicted? Absolutely. It's not hard to imagine, you know. But he's now found this courage and this strength to approach his fear and his pain head on, which allows him to now move forward in his life in a positive way and make choices that are important to him. And we also leave it open-ended, you know, what's his relationship going to be with that community moving forward? Yeah. We don't make a decision on that. And that's a big part of what Yaakov is struggling with. That's exactly so, how I saw it. That night was not a fix-all. For me, that night was Yaakov's first step to, I guess, recovery would be the right word. Uh, it didn't fix his problems. Uh, I loved after you confronted the demon and you're still watching over the body and that moment where you are talking to the demon and saying, let him go, let him go. Uh, what did you like dig deep into to play out? That? I mean, you did that. It was so heartfelt. You were not crying. You were not scared. You had just been through a night of hell. And you're standing up to this thing and you say you are letting him go. Did you dig into any special part of an experience or something to make that happen? To bring that to such an authentic scene? Yeah. Um, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. Um, it, it, was, I, it was amazing. I, uh, I had an experience that... I don't super like to talk about because it feels a little exploitative. Well, it's just that it's, it was a really intense experience for me. I lost a friend, uh, when I, when I was in high school or actually beginning of college and, uh, at his open casket, I put, I put my hand on his chest and it was impossible for me to not be thinking about that during the scene. Wow. And uh, I remember a sensation of thinking about how fragile life is and 
how my my friend is there and I'm here and how easily our positions could be switched. Wow. And that's that's really what I was thinking about with Mr. Litvak because here Yaakov is. He has gone through this night, as you said, this incredibly painful, difficult night, but he's come out the other side of it. And when he comes downstairs out of this nightmare, having fought his battle, confronted his pain, here's Mr. Litvak writhing. Hmm. The man that he's here to protect, writhing and spasming a cadaver on a table. Yeah. And so in that moment, it's no longer Yaakov's fear. He's trying to share what he's learned in this night. He's trying to share the power that he has divined. And he's talking to the demon, let him go. But he also says, let it go, talking to Mr. Litvak, because he realizes that even from beyond the grave, this is a choice that needs to be made. And he's also been battling this thing his entire life because of grief and guilt himself. <laughs> Now, right. let's go to the beginning of the movie. And this is actually a part that I'm kind of confused on. Um, we see you in the apartment uh, with a whole bunch of group of people. And you it's like a group session, and it's being led by uh, by one person. Is that a... What kind of... Th it doesn't really yeah. get explained, but is it a therapy group? What is that so that's, about? That's based on a thing called Footsteps, which is a program that was started... Uh, as sort of a group therapy, but more than that, as a transitional tool to people who are leaving the uh, ultra-religious Hasidic community and uh, attempting to join the secular culture of America. And that is something that has a number of difficulties associated with it. Uh, for one, that community uh, whom I met a lot of really beautiful people from, um, but they, they do have, they struggle with education as in they don't offer a total education to all of their children. And as a result, when people decide to leave that community, oftentimes you'll have people ages, you know, use your imagination who, who, who really don't even speak English that well. Um, and who've been living in New York their whole lives and wow. maybe were never introduced to uh, to things that we think of as a given in American culture, mm -hmm. you know, people who never saw their first movie until they, you know, borrowed somebody's iPod Nano and got on some public Wi-Fi and watched something that we might think of as a lesser film in a park, and they're going, "This is mind-blowing cinema." Um, so there's the struggles of learning a new culture and uh, figuring that out. But then there's also the struggles that a lot of people find their families and their communities can turn on them when they decide to leave. Yeah. yeah. And that can be anything from estrangement to ostrac uh, being ostracized or to even just saying, I don't support you on this journey that you're undertaking and people find themselves alone. And it can be very, difficult to be alone as we all know mm -hmm. this year and on top of that it can be very difficult to secure work when you haven't necessarily had the education or preparation to be uh, in the workforce or and as we see with Yakov just socially interacting with women yep yeah you know there's a lot of separation between men and women flirtation is not encouraged 
you have anything from, I mean, there are, there are arranged marriages, you know, it's a, it's very, it's a very foreign culture to us. And it's sort of incredible that such a large population is in the heart of our country's biggest city. And, uh, and they can be so, so foreign to us at the same time. And we can be so foreign to them. Yeah. And being from myself from New York and, you know, being around the Hasidic Jewish community, uh, I never got to learn. I mean, it's like they don't want outsiders to basically learn what's going on. You keep to yourself. And when I was watching the beginning of the movie, I was kind of split. I got the impression these were people that came in from an overseas country. And that's how uh, separated they were from not only New York City, but from any kind of American culture. And uh, do you like that the movie did not actually explain that and it left the audience wondering? Yeah, I love that. I think it's great because we don't have to talk down to the audience. We don't have to tell them how they're supposed to think about these things or feel about it. We treat it like it's a given Mm -hmm. um, because it is. It is a given. It's just not a given to all of us. Yeah. You know, and there's so many movies that have done that with Christianity, with Catholicism, where we, we, we just accept the cross has this power or holy water and it doesn't need to be explained. Okay, this is exactly what holy water is. We just understand that that's a thing that exists. And that's why I think the vigil, one of the reasons the film is so special, because it does that uh, for Judaism. And yes. it, it, it takes these tropes that are tropes to some people in the world and it uses them to tell a classic horror story and it doesn't need to it doesn't need to tell the audience look we're doing this yeah. it just does it and lets the audience jump in yeah it doesn't go step by step this is what they we used to do and this is what we're not doing anymore was everybody else that in your group in the same type of situation where they were in the uh, Hasidic community and they've left for one reason or another? Or were they all from different circumstances? Most of the actors, uh, I think all of the actors in that group, in that scene, had either left the community themselves or had firsthand experience. For real? Um, Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, And most of them had personally left the community. And Malky Goldman, who plays Sarah in the film, she was really instrumental to me in understanding Yaakov and building that character because she introduced me to a lot of her friends and she threw several parties for me to meet people, take people's numbers, hang out with them, talk to them, ask really personal in-depth questions about their lives, about their experience with their families, with pop culture, with leaving that community, with figuring out a new world. and. You know, initially, I I was, I didn't even really necessarily believe that people's accents could be so strong. Mm-hmm. But I met people and they were like, I didn't speak English until I was 14. Wow. It's like, but you lived in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, but I didn't ever leave my three to six block radius. Uh, and that blew my mind. And, the one and that- it was really important to the producers and, and, and to me and to Keith. We talked a lot about it. I didn't want to, I, I don't speak Yiddish. I didn't want it to be this kind of trope that you see in a lot of movies where they're supposed to be in one language and they speak it for a few lines and then they switch over to English because it's more convenient for the actors, it's more convenient for the audience. 
but we wanted it to feel really authentic. So anytime something would be in Yiddish, we we put it in Yiddish. So all the conversation with Reb Shulam, it makes sense that he would want to speak in Yiddish, and it makes sense that I would be replying mostly in Yiddish uh, when I'm alone. I'm speaking to myself. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that having spoken Yiddish my entire life, I wouldn't have suddenly switched over to my second language to, you know, when yeah. I stub my toe or something like that, yeah. when I frighten myself or when I see something that upsets me. And that and, is so authentic. And for all of you, uh, all of our viewers watching in New York City, and I have some personal experience in this, my parents are Greek immigrants. They were living in the United States for 50 years. And in New York City, you can so isolate yourself within your community of your ethnic background. My mom has now been a citizen of the United States for almost 50 years. She can't put together an English sentence, <laughs> you know, and it's it's really authentic. So I'm telling this for the people that watch it like, yeah, it's not that can't happen. Yeah. It really can. It doesn't matter whether you're Jewish, Greek. Uh, New York is so multiculturally rich. Yeah, and, and we've, a- um, we've really had fantastic reactions from that community. I, I feel really complimented. People have told me um, that it was authentic, not only the performance, but in the accent, the dialect, and the language, but the, the set and the costumes. Um, so we're really, really happy because we put a lot of work into that, and it seems that people have really connected with it. Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad. So the the while you guys were filming the the Hasidic Jewish community there, they embraced you guys. They didn't try to push you away, get out of our neighborhood or anything like that. Well, we were met with curiosity for sure. I don't know if it was full on uh, embracing. I think if anything, it was, "What are you doing here?" Yeah. Why are you filming that? What's up with all this, these dolly tracks in the middle of our street? We had hundreds of people come out to watch us film. And it was a range. It was a range from, I'm curious and I'd like to see what's going on. I've never seen this before. To, you know, borderline spitting on you and you know, we, don't, we, don't, we don't want you here. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that being said, the community that I was more interested in was in the community of people who had, who had left. Mm-hmm. Uh, a term that's used is OTD, off the derech, which means off the path. Mm-hmm. And I met several people who do not like that term. They find it offensive because to be off the path, it, it's to imply that there was a path that is the correct path to be on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the people who had left the community and who were forging their own path. Uh, that, those were the people I was most interested in talking to. And I really met some fantastic people. And they were very much, um, they were dubious at first, some people, some people were excited, some people wanted to know who this guy was that was coming to study them and ask them questions. But for the most part, people were very supportive, Uh, couldn't have done it without them. Mm. And uh, I think everybody ended up very happy and very pleased with, with, with the final product. And the whole uh, filming from the first scene to wrap, you said it was what, about a month and a half, six weeks? Yeah, something like that. I think we only had about 18 days of filming, but I was in New York uh, at least 10 days early to do some prep and to start working on the character and research. Did you guys uh, spend the night in the Brooklyn area there where you were shooting? Uh, we were we were living in Brooklyn, yeah. Okay, awesome. Now let's go to Yakov's tragedy, and that is the tragic death of his brother. Um, 
and the way it was portrayed to us on the screen, uh, his brother was not intended to be killed that night. It was these a-holes that started picking on him for being different. He got pushed into the street, and we see your character freezing. Is that the 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 basic core of where the Yakov's guilt comes from? That he could have helped his brother, but he just froze. Uh, and if it is that, what what do you think? Was it just being a Hasidic Jew? What caused him to freeze? You know, that's a a really interesting question. Um, we talked a lot about Yaakov's family structure, where he's coming from, and I sort of made the determination that this brother is one of his siblings who Yaakov has the strongest connection with. Mm -hmm. And he feels a great sense of responsibility for him. And it's one of the most important aspects of this film to me is the aspect of the hate crime because it's so relevant, unfortunately, in our country and in the world right now. Yes. And it was relevant when we were filming, and unfortunately, it's still relevant today. Oh, yeah. And in that moment, I actually I, I convinced Keith to let uh, one of the stunt one of the one of the guys push me to the ground because I had a similar question about it: is how can someone freeze like that? Mm -hmm. Well, I would have to do something. And uh, I, I, I could be making this up, I could be mistaken, but I seem to remember Keith saying, well, no, I've been in similar situations and when you freeze, you freeze. And at the time it was hard for me to understand. I wanted a little more uh, force to keep me down, keep me away, keep me frozen. But the truth is that in life, when we find ourselves in a situation that we can't understand and we can't deal with, we never know how we're going to react. That's absolutely and, true. Yeah. And, and, and Yaakov, it's three guys. They're holding on to his brother. And he doesn't know if, if he charges them, could he make the situation worse? Could he, and he takes that gamble, you know, maybe they'll let him go. Maybe he'll be fine. Maybe this will just be a superficial attack that will scar us emotionally, but maybe physically we'll be fine if I just let it happen. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't have the experience to know how to deal with that. So he just watches it transpire. And tragically, his little brother reacts in an unpredictable way. And New York is a dangerous place where things can happen quickly. Yeah. And he's he's extremely tragically just forced to witness the whole thing. Yeah, and it, it happened so quickly. It happened so quickly. And that's really the truth in life is that when things go wrong, they go wrong fast. Yeah. And as much as we all want to believe that we'll be the hero and that we'll find the moment and we'll step up and we'll, you know, catch the baby falling from the burning building. It doesn't always play out that way. Yeah. And that's, and those are the sort of regrets and traumas that people are forced to live with. And horrifically, those are the sorts of traumas that people in that community were forced to live with during and after the Holocaust. Yeah. And that is sort of, uh, that had a crucial role, role in building that community and, and, and making it what it is today. 
And, you know, we all like to think that, man, if I were in that situation in World War II, I would escape. Mm -hmm. I would run away. I would attack the attacker. Mm -hmm. If I was if I was at the school shooting, I would tackle the guy. Mm -hmm. And it just isn't always possible. And and it's not fair to victims of those sorts of attacks to assume that someone could do anything but watch. Mm -hmm. It's judging them. Yeah, it's judging them in in a position that you have no idea what it's about. Yeah. And I think that's why Jacob is such a relatable character, because it's it's not just about someone from an extreme community. It's not just about someone dealing with extreme circumstances. It's about what we all feel regret for and how we could all be better and the demons that follow us all around that we need to confront and that if we don't, will follow us for the rest of our lives. Exactly. Now, as a fan, if you can separate yourself from the movie... Do you want to see a sequel? I'm not asking you if there is or there isn't talks, but do you say, you know what, this is good? I know as an actor, you would love to do it. It's a paying job, and you probably, it's the movie's become really, it's becoming popular every day that it's out. But as a viewer, do you like, this is so good, leave it alone? Or do you like, I want to see how this continues? Oh, I think we froze. Oh. Let me see if I can get him back. Sorry about that, guys. Oh, there he is. He's calling. Dave? Yeah, hey, I don't know what happened. Oh, we got you back. We're good. So basically, I was asking as a viewer, uh, would you like to see the story continue in a sequel? I'm not asking if there is talks or isn't talks of a sequel. As a viewer, or do you want to say, you know what? It's good as it is. Let's leave it alone. Well... I will say that I would follow Keith Thomas to the ends of the earth. Uh, anything he wants to do I, and wants me to be a part of, I'm in. Um, but I told him that if we were to do a sequel, I think it should go the Evil Dead route. <laughs> Where I don't, think, I don't think you can top the creepiness of the visual. I don't think you can top the emotional and societal complexity that's in that film. And I think to attempt to would be a disservice. Mm-hmm. So if we were going to do it, I would love to see it. Because Evil Dead so, 2 was a comedy compared exactly. to the scary-ass one of the first one. Right. I mean, Evil Dead 1, I watched that movie and was, like, so terrified and blown away. I was like, that was one of the most intriguing horror movies I've ever seen. And then Evil Dead 2, I was like, Wait, is this the same people? Who made this? Oh my God, I saw that in the theaters, okay? I know that makes me really old. I watched The Evil Dead 2 in the theater expecting The Evil Dead to continue. And it was this comedic thing. I'm like, what am I watching? And I I love that, you know? And I I take my craft extremely seriously. um, But I also take a lot of joy in storytelling and believe that it can take many different forms. So I told Keith that uh, if we do another one, I'll be expecting some sort of chainsaw for a hand. (laughs) Bruce Campbell, watch out. So (laughs) the reason why I learned of this movie called The Vigil is because the weeks leading up to its release, it was getting a lot of attention, A, because it was getting good reviews from the critics that have seen it, but primarily 
from various news outlets, including the New York Post, because there have not been that many horror movies uh, revolving around the Jewish faith and traditions. Uh, yeah. it, it seems to be the way these writers wrote it up like a taboo that a lot of filmmakers don't want to touch. And the vigil was getting applauded for going into an area that a lot of other filmmakers did not want to go to. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think Keith really had the foresight to say this hasn't been done before. He had a great idea and he realized that it was this fantastic opportunity to captivate a large audience's imagination mm -hmm. in a way that really hadn't been done before. And then he connected with Boulder Light Pictures and uh, they happened to be observant Jews, Orthodox Jews who make horror movies. And I don't think it was ever really their intention to make a Jewish film, but when they saw this script, they realized it was an opportunity, as they like to say, to make the Jewish horror movie. And it was a lot of really beautiful uh, cogs coming together. And Keith got me involved. And from then, from there on, we were just off to the races. And, and we all just worked our butts off trying to make the best thing possible. And, uh, and I think we really did succeed in coming up with something that was very original, hadn't been done before, hadn't been seen before. You know, Keith was determined not to do another Dybbuk movie. Mm -hmm. There have been a couple movies with Dybbuks. Mm -hmm. And also, a lot of times, they are attacking people that are outside of the community. He wanted it to be seen from within the community. Mm -hmm. And um, the Mazik. The Mazik is a demon that, that has never graced the screen before. I've never heard it's of it before. Heard. Yeah, i never heard a of it. A lot of people have not. Yeah, it means destroyer. Wow, that is, I mean, I can say personally, if it wasn't for those news articles about writing about the movie and its dive into the Jewish faith, I would not have heard of it. Uh, but I tell you, I, I, I do articles when I do my solo shows, I read news stories, and I did it over several days, and I kept reading about this movie to where uh, two Fridays ago when it was released, I watched it on the first day it came on video on demand. Awesome. I bought it. I bought it. I had to watch it. And uh, A, because I love the paranormal subgenre and just the idea of learning something about a culture that I don't know was fascinating to me. And whether uh, the free press, because of the Jewish faith, it's helping the movie. If you, Tell me if you agree with this. It's getting more people to watch the movie because of the press. And even though it is because of writing not only about the quality of the movie, but because of it's the writing the article about the Jewish faith, it's still good press. I mean, do you agree with that? It's getting people to oh, watch the movie. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the most important things about the film for me, and one of the things that attracted me to it so much, is this is an underrepresented community. And it's often misrepresented. Mm -hmm. And so not only is this giving... A whole group of people an opportunity to see a character that represent that that you know mirrors their lives and their experiences but it's also opening up this whole world to uh, the culture at large to people who before would have no experience with it yeah that you know don't know what a footsteps meeting is mm -hmm. haven't ever met someone like yakov can't believe that people live in the united states and don't know how to speak english like myself 
I was in total disbelief. And the more I learned about the community, the more I realized how important it was to tell a story authentically and, and with respect to that community. And, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people. I've spoken to people from within the community that say how happy they are to see a representation of themselves on film. Mm -hmm. And I've spoken to people who had never heard of Hasidism and, uh, and say, wow, I'm fascinated by that. I went out and I read about it. And it's those sorts of things that will help bridge cultural divides in this country and eliminate hate and bring people together and, and increase understanding. And that's why it was so important for Yaakov to be real. You know, mm -hmm. it's not just a story about a, a boogeyman. It's a story about a person who is going through something exactly. and figuring it out. Now, the mental illness part with Yakov, uh, with the doctor and the pills he's taking, is it all a result of the PTSD, or was he suffering issues before that, and the PTSD just amplified it? Well, you know, it's not really addressed in the film. We don't necessarily answer that question. Yeah. However, in my character study and in my conversations with Keith, um, I came to determine that Yakov was already struggling with mental issues. Uh, that were severely exacerbated through his trauma. Um, they might have been issues that never would have become a problem for him, a severe problem, or he might have always ended up really needing help. But either way, he was in a community where he was not going to be able to get the help he needed. Yeah. And that was a major part of his decision, at least in my estimation and my choices as an actor. That was a major part of his decision to leave the community because he realized he was not going to be able to get the help he needed. He knew he needed help. He just didn't understand what that looked like or where he was going to find it. So the only thing he could do is leave. Yeah. Of course, in leaving, he finds himself between a rock and a hard place, out of the mm -hmm. out of the frying pan and into the fire. Okay, uh, that's so true. Uh, now, since the movie has come out, all the attention, the critic raves, the viewer raves. Uh, have, are you are you are, as far as your career goes are you getting more offers i know it's only been a couple of weeks since it's been out has the release of the vigil changed the, the trajectory of your career you know i hope so i hope people will watch it and like it and want to work with me but for me it's life as usual it's uh working to try to find projects that i connect with and when i do just putting my all into it so, you know, nothing has changed too much for me. I'm really excited to talk to people like yourself who are interested in the film and want to talk about it. And, you know, as an artist, you put so much work and love and time into making something and you hope that people connect with it. And this is an example where people have really connected with it. So that means a lot to me. And, and it, it means more to me, though, that uh, other people will, will gain something from that. You know, I love that this creates exposure for Bomb City, mm -hmm. which was an extremely important film for me and which tells a, a true story about real people. And that's, again, that's a story that I think is extremely important to be told and to be learned and to be watched. And so for me, the exposure is is just a bonus because I'm, I'm interested in telling stories like this to help people and to help the world. And yes, it's my career, and yes, I hope it creates more work, but that's, that's not really why you do something like this. 
Okay, that, that totally makes sense. It's making a difference that, that really counts. Now, I got to ask you this. Uh, you spent some time on The Walking Dead uh, yeah. in season three. You had the honor of being killed by Michael Rooker. <laughs> My, that man is amazing. Uh, that's what I was going to ask you. What was it like working with him? Is he, I mean, he, he's such a professional, great actor. Yeah, I mean, he's like a professional athlete the way he works. His intensity is unparalleled. And um, we shot together probably about three days. And after our, I'm trying to remember, maybe it was our second night of filming, but Anyway, I was in Atlanta and I didn't know anybody and I was staying on my own. And we had a really fun day of filming and I loved watching him work. And uh, I asked him, I was like, hey, you want to go grab a burger or something? And he was like, yeah, I want to grab a burger. So we went and we got bison burgers and we just talked about acting all night. It was great. And then, uh, and then we ended up doing it again. After set, he was like, you want to go get another bison burger? And I was like, yep, let's go. And... Um, He's just a really great guy, really fun to watch work. At that time, I was still really inexperienced on film. Mm -hmm. Everything I really knew was about stage acting. So to see the way that he hyped himself up before a scene and did what he needed to do to give the performance that he wanted to give was fascinating. He actually also, um, <laughs> I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say this, but he, at the time, I noticed he was giving very specific performances based on the um, the coverage that we were getting in that moment. Mm -hmm. So the close-up versus the wide shot. And that night at dinner, I asked him about it, and he basically said it was a form of control as an actor so that he could give the performances that he wanted to give, give the editor everything he wanted to give the editor. But at the same time, if he wants to give a performance this way and he does it that way six times and then on the seventh time they say hey do you mind doing it that way he wanted to make sure that they weren't going to take the one take that he didn't want them to use so he was he was manipulating his performance in a way that i couldn't even really comprehend at the time now i later talked to a writer about that and they had some gripes with it you know well you know we don't love it, like it when actors do that because we write it this way and blah 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 so i was a little torn my producer hat versus my actor hat but I can tell you that um, he's a true professional and just a pleasure to work with. Everybody loved being around him. Really funny, fun, lighthearted. So, so being on The Walking Dead in the third season, I call the third season of The Walking Dead where it really started to get to this, or what ultimately became a revolutionary show. How would you describe the atmosphere on the set? And, you know, in season three, being a governor henchman, which to date is still the most evil villain that the show has ever seen. Yeah, no, I mean, it was a blast because I was a fan of the show coming in and showing up. I'd tell someone, you know, I'm a fan of the show. I'm, and that, that everybody looked at me. Yeah, we're all fans of the show. We all love it. So, so it was a really fun place to be. At one point, I think I was in a costume fitting. I stumbled across a room that was filled with hundreds of corpses oh, man. that were in storage for you know whatever scene i'm sure inevitably they're going to need where there's 50 corpses in a gymnasium or something like that you know wherever they need all the corpses this is where they were holding them and it was like you open the door whoa it was really a lot of fun to have all the zombies walking around uh with the the lenses in and everything and it was just a great atmosphere everybody loved being there 
you know, I've I've been I've had that vibe on a lot of indie shoots where um, everybody's really unified in their effort and has this common goal. It's not just about money. It's not just about a job. Everybody really has this common effort, and that was a project with a big budget where it really had that vibe. So by season three, I mean, we know we didn't start off as a big budget, but by season three, the success of The Walking Dead definitely translated into, you could tell on the set, the budget had really increased and they were going all out and not sparing any kind of expenses. Yeah, it's funny. I had watched the first season and a half, maybe. Mm -hmm. And then when I booked the role, I was like, well, I got I to gotta finish the second season. So I was watching it and finishing it up until the point that I was in my hotel room uh, getting ready to go to set. Probably I finished it. I finished the last episode maybe the night before I went to set for the first time. And I'm blanking on his name at the moment, but he's a great actor and he's in the first and second season. The, um, uh, Jeffrey DeMunn? No. Uh, he did the boxing movie with... Uh, John, Ber John Bernthal, Shane? Yes. John, John Bernthal. Bernthal, yeah. And I was so excited to meet John Bernthal. And I got to, I mean, I'm in Atlanta. I drove up and um, uh, I'm in the hotel room and I'm just like, man, I'm really excited to meet that guy. He's a great actor. I, I can't wait to pick his brain a little bit. And of course, he gets he gets the axe in the last episode of season two. And I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, how does it feel like you're in forever the walking dead lore you're in the walking dead wikipedia as one of the <laughs> governor's henchmen you will forever be there uh i'm very it... proud that i that i killed a zombie <laughs> i i know uh you only have a certain time you're actually almost are out of time uh one last question about the vigil if you were to sum it up in like one what was your best experience on the movie was it a scene was it a moment was it an interaction between you and other actor what would be the best moment that you took away it's so funny because i've had a lot of people ask what the hardest thing was but i haven't had anybody ask what the best thing was so i gotta think about that for a second <laughs> you know it was really wonderful to work with lynn cohen she was a powerhouse she sadly passed away mm -hmm. um within the year after we finished filming, I believe, not too long ago, though. Um, I'm not sure exactly when. But uh, she's really missed, and she she was fantastic. I loved working with her, and I learned a lot from her as an actor. Um, it was also that final scene was really fun to film. The We didn't have any special effects, no, no visual effects in the film. Everything is practical. So Even when you the people coming through the walls? Yeah. Wow. And that was really fun. So they, they, that was the only thing in the shoot that was built on a set, on a stage. And we built out that hallway and the walls were made out of, I don't even know what the material is, but they did a great job. And as a result, people were able to press their faces and their hands into the wall. And the result was so creepy. Oh, yeah. And and walking through it, and we used only natural light with the candles and a little movie magic tip we figured out. I don't, I don't remember who figured it out. Um, so it was our props department or lighting department. But you basically make a fake candle with two wicks in it. 
so that there's extra flame to make the flame light my face up more, wow. light the walls up more. And navigating that hallway with those faces coming out was such a treat. And then they're telling me, Dave, try to stay as still as possible while you're walking. Keep your level the same, which brought me right back to my theater training and Suzuki training, uh, which is a Japanese vocal technique, actually, but it focuses heavily on movement. Mm -hmm. And in that training, a lot of times what the teacher will tell you is, okay, cross this room and make it take a half an hour, but you're never allowed to stop moving and your head better stay at the same level the entire time. So it was like right back there, this idea of like this constant push and this total engagement, which was like really a beautiful thing to, uh, to as this like powerful moment for Yaakov that he was summoning the strength and this courage that even when these things were coming at him directly face to face, he's barely even looking at them because he's so focused on what's at the end of that hallway. Even though it's the thing that terrifies him more than anything, he's not going to let himself stop being drawn towards it like a magnet. Even as, and and it's so great too because none of these figures are actually grabbing Yaakov. Mm-hmm. No one's actually trying to restrain him. It's just the fear. And to me, that was always. That was always the most important part of of horror movies. The reason why it, uh, Stephen King's classic, was so terrifying to me is because it can only get you if you're afraid of it. Mm -hmm. So as a little kid, I would tell myself, well, I'm not afraid of it, so I don't have anything to worry about. And then you'd be like, wait, am I afraid of it? Oh, no, I I am afraid of it. (laughs) So, you know, that's Yaakov's moment to, to understand that it's not that he can't be afraid. It's that you have to be afraid. And you have to look it dead in the eyes, and, and, and even though you're afraid, not let it not let it control you. Oh man, Dave, this has been a pleasure, man. Thank you. Too. Yeah, this is great. It's so Thank lovely you. to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on here. It's been an absolute treat. Any final thoughts you want to share? You know, I just hope everybody watches the film and shares the film and gets something out of it. And if you're curious about the things in the movie you don't understand, do some research. And I just I hope everybody knows that our country is such a diverse quilt work of communities, people and experiences. And at the end of the day, we're all going through the same stuff and we're all in it together. Exactly. And, you know, talking about the diverse, I just saw a movie the other day that was really disturbing. I don't know if you've seen it. Antebellum. Uh, Talk about it's just whacked. (laughs) Let's just leave it at that and how (laughs) in the 21st century stuff like that can happen. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Dave, thank you so much for being here. I'm my not pleasure. going. No problem, man. It's my pleasure. I'm not going all matrixy on you. I actually do have pink eye. I yeah, feel uh, better. Yeah, hopefully the glasses will be coming off soon. Everybody stay safe. Till tomorrow, stay walking. On behalf of Dave and myself, good night. Bye bye. Good night.